everybody. Welcome to another episode of Master Energy Podcast, where we empower self-knowledge through holistic lifestyle principles so that you can become the happiest, healthiest version of yourself. I'm a grateful host, Megan Wren. So happy to be here as always. Um, today we have a very special guest that I am very honored to introduce. His name is Dr. Daniel Hotman. And Daniel is a psychiatrist from Austin, Texas. And honestly, this was, I mean, I don't, I don't even know what to say. It was such a great interview and I learned so much. So Daniel has a practice where he sees one-on-one patients. And I love, I love it because his prerequisite for seeing people is that they have to be open to exploring themselves like that's a prerequisite for him to work with somebody and then he's also got a program called self-recovery and this is a program for addiction that helps look at the root cause of why we're struggling the root cause of disease and it's very counterculture to the 12-step program that we go through with recovery but honestly in this episode we don't talk too much about addiction we really talk about knowing ourselves and diving into that And as we talked about before, knowing ourselves is how we master our energy. So in order to master energy, we have to know ourselves. So Daniel's going to come on for a second episode because this one was just so much and I didn't even get to half of the questions that I wanted to talk about with him. So please, please, please give a warm welcome to our special guest, Dr. Daniel Hodgman. All right, Daniel, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Would you mind by starting and introducing yourself to our listeners? Yeah, sure. So I'm Dr. Daniel Hockman. I'm a psychiatrist. I treat people here in my office and um, I'm still full-time and see people now. Um, but uh, I've done several other things with my career and, and still do as well. So uh, I only take patients in my practice who want to do therapy. So um, so I'm a psychiatrist and can assess, diagnose, prescribe, um, but all the patients I have, um, a, a prerequisite is that they're interested in exploring themselves um, through a course of therapy. Um, and then additionally, I have a business called Self Recovery, and uh, that's a program that makes addiction programming and curriculum accessible for anybody. So it's all online, and so anybody in the world can access that. Cool. I'm I'm excited to dive into all of this. A lot of the things that I have written down to talk about are in related to the um, addiction, but I also think that they're going to tie in a lot to other things. So we'll go with this, but I'm curious as to, um, do you know a statistic about how many people have a problem with addiction? Yeah. So it's around one in 10 to one in 12 people have a a more formal addiction. So like drugs, alcohol, Um, we have also what people call behavioral or process addictions. So that's something like, um, you know, gambling, sex addictions, even food addictions. So when you broaden it to other behaviors that aren't like hard drugs or alcohol, it's around half of the population. Um, So uh, it sort of depends what definition you use and whether you're kind of using a traditional way of thinking about addiction or just how many people walking around have some form of like a a vice that is not good for them. 
Well, that makes me think too. I think most of us, I'm curious what that specific would be addicted to our uh, technological devices, devices on our watches, getting on our phone, checking emails. And that's, I mean, that's got to be most people to some extent. Yeah, yeah. And so with an addiction, you know, we don't only just say it's an addiction if you do it a lot, but it's got to create some kind of functional problem for them. So, um, so yeah, even if it's internet or checking your phone a lot, um, yeah, there is, you know, some people are promoting this idea of a diagnostic criteria for internet addiction. Um, there's certainly porn addiction that's more established, um, but uh, but yeah, you know, it's not just that you use porn a lot or go check Facebook all the time. It would be that it's interfering in your relationships. You're not able to focus at work or get much done because of it um, and, and plenty of other criteria. Um, I'm curious, can we be addicted to emotions an emotional state? I, I'd have a hard time, you know, making a case for that in in the way I just said, right? I wouldn't, but uh, do some people use their emotions almost too much? Like I, I certainly see people obsess with their emotional state. So um, on both ends, right? But like mm -hmm. overly monitoring because you and I are probably often in the business of helping people really understand themselves and their emotions, right? And recognizing where they are, you know, recognizing what they're anxious about and how that's influencing them. I see people sometimes do that too much. So they do it so much that it, it does actually interfere with just being and just sometimes um, existing. So the over monitoring can become a problem. I'm curious what you're thinking of, because there's a lot of ways that people have very distorted or unhealthy ways of using their emotions of course well i guess the thing that came to my brain was like addicted to stress just like addicted to that constant rush of adrenaline and dopamine that you get from being on high stress or like if we're so used to a certain emotion and we're not sure how another one feels we always gravitate towards one like would that be considered an addiction kind of thing i wouldn't so i have a fairly loose definition of addiction okay like we're saying, you know, as far as yeah. vices and things like that, that are, you know, bad for us and impair things and, and there are problems in our lives. That I'd say, um, I, I certainly see people have a lot of problems in the ways that you just described. Um, I just like to draw the line somewhere or else anything that we do a lot of, you could call an addiction. And so, um, but, you know, it's really important, maybe off the bat, that we say, I, I frankly don't care about the term addiction or the diagnostic criteria or at what point it meets a threshold, because it's so obviously gray and blurred and subjective and up to anybody to just, you know, to decide how much of a disturbance is that creating in their life. So you can take the same case and you can split it different ways, trying to argue for why they meet all these criteria or why they don't um you know some of the criteria in there are, are very subjective around it impairing work performance or family or you know spouse relationships uh some people have spouses that don't care about them drinking a lot i mean i, I i've had a patient who drinks like 16 drinks a night and his wife didn't care 
and and actually honestly it was not impairing it i mean they, they actually he handles his liquor well and he and he even runs a company a, a very good successful one so but he's clearly addicted to his alcohol and then someone else might have a couple drinks and it sets the spouse off and they get a little more edgy and irritable so could go on about all the re all the problems in diagnostic criteria for the listeners i think it's important to know like when we use the dsm which is our diagnostic and statistical manual to make diagnoses those are set on criteria that are largely for research purposes so that um, if we say we're going to try a new drug or a therapy modality for depression or for panic disorder we need to have criteria so that everyone is in agreement around who are we including in that study. If we say we're, we're testing this thing on depressed people, we have to have a, a very clear set of criteria so that we can do research and studies and do epidemiology, but they aren't very helpful when you're sitting with one person in a room. It really doesn't matter, right? If someone's sad, they're sad. Who cares if it's major depression dysthymia or part of cyclothymia it doesn't matter it's they're sad right i want to kind of take a take a tiny step back a tiny bit um how did you get into this field and what what made you want to go down this alley of psychiatry uh, well if you can't tell I, I love thinking about all these things so um very early on you know i found myself um you know always wanting to help people in trouble, but also um, just very curious about the nature of suffering. So um, that's always intrigued me, fascinated me, and you know, drawn me to try and explore how that works and what that is. Um, so, you know, started out that I was doing that in very naive, ill-informed ways. And then, you know, through medical school, still kind of naive thinking, well, I'm, I'm going to just tell people, you know, to exercise and make good decisions and all that. And then, um, you know, certainly that matured, you know, with training and, you know, and going on to do psychiatry. So I was just drawn to really understand um, how the hell we work, you know, what, what, what motivates us. I mean, there's rudimentary understandings, of course, around, you know, we, we want to um, do just basic primitive things like, you know, have security and shelter and procreate and eat. But um, then there's all these really interesting layers built on there that humans in particular have and it's just so that it, it, it's all a joy for me I'm, I'm just still so fascinated by all of it um what do you think is one of the most fascinating parts for you about how the human brain is wired well so we're we're all wired to want more and more so that could be addiction right it could be that you want more drugs or alcohol but yeah i mean more prevalent is just wanting more of anything, even if it hurts us. So uh, let's just take food for an example. I mean, we, we've got such plentiful food. Um, so there's a very natural part of wanting more food, um, more sex, more, you know, laid back, you know, lazy time. We, we want more and we, we all want gluttony, but at the same time, you know, we want the good life and that's not gluttony, you know, so we want we're in conflict, right? All of us are in conflict with wanting easy and convenient, but we also want more on the other side. We want, we want to live a life that we're proud of. We want to, you know, actually make sacrifices for good relationships or a good career. Um, so 
we live these lives of conflict because of some of the way that our brain works and, and also how we've evolved. I mean, we are an, an enormously involved species, so we contain a very reptilian primitive part of us, but then we also are, you know, poets and writers and um, do very intricate things and we will die for other people. I mean, it's, it's so, so we, we're all in some sort of conflict in that regard. And, and I, I just find that fascinating because we're all trying to figure out how to manage that. You know, it's really interesting that you said that because when I, I sent out my newsletters on Thursdays and I put a poem in each of the newsletters and in mm -hmm. the poem that I wrote today, it was that you can't have structure without abstract. You can't have abstract without structure because there are all these contradictions, but you need each of them to kind of like m make everything work. And it's like this intricate balance. And it's never ending. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you, you can design up and say, okay, I want to have this really disciplined life, you know, and I'm going to exercise and eat right. And, you know, call all my friends, do, you know, do all this structured stuff. And then you realize, you know, how not fun and empty and, and just it's too disciplined. It's too boring. Yeah. And so then we want to have fun. That could be vices or it could be just something spontaneous. And they're often going to be things when we're having fun that we know are not good for us. They're hard to write down on paper why, why you're doing that thing in that moment. But we all have the sense that globally speaking, we need that. It's not only in relief, like just so that we, you know, have a relief for a moment and have fun. There's also actually meaning in that spontaneity, going for things, taking risks. There's a lot of meaning there. And so um, it makes us feel alive when we do that. So, but you can't do too much of that, right? That would just be crazy to only be on this never ending sort of binge of fun and, and pleasure and excitement and risk. I mean, that's, that's just reckless. So we all kind of have that sense, right? That you, you really can't park yourself on either end. Those are, that's clearly not a winning way, but then what do you do? And that's where we're saying, I mean, there's no, there's no really clear path there. It's, it's obviously some mix, but we all get confused around, you know, what, what that mix should look like for ourselves. Um, I'm actually curious if we could kind of take a step back. Uh, you said it all has meaning. And what did you, what do you mean by that? Well, so there's meaning on both sides. You know, we're, life is very much about trade-offs and whenever we can recognize the trade-off that we're in there's usually meaning in that so so there's meaning on let's let's say for example both sides of what we just laid out in this framework right there there is meaning in discipline so i'm just gonna call just for fun here you know being boring right so like waking up on time going to bed on time eating well you know making all the good choices in life so there's meaning in that because it takes a hell of a lot of sacrifice and discipline to do that. And that's a good proud life, right? But there's also meaning even in doing those spontaneous risky things. So whether that's starting a business, going somewhere you haven't been before, you know, meeting new people, kind of taking a leap of faith when you go on a date or meet some new friend or something and just like, I don't even know what's happening or where we're going or if this person's safe or not. And, you know, you, and you do those things and there's meaning in that, right? Because 
um, it's it's to give up you know some security or safety in order what like what's the meaning there it's it's in the service of seeing what more is around the corner that's a very meaningful act to see more about what we're made of learn what else we might be interested in learn if connections can be even deeper than we already have um you know so those are the experiences that that we take back home and do a lot with so um, so there's meaning in all those directions, um, but I'm I'm very much about making sure people are intentional, so that we understand what you know we're we're doing all kinds of interesting things all the time, you know. But can that person recognize the the trade offs and the sacrifices at any moment, and uh, be able to appreciate you know, what we're doing and what's meaningful about it? Um, everything that you just said made me think of what you're saying that we are designed to want more. So you have the meaning of the meaning of having courage and vulnerability leads to growth, but that also is leading to the core thing of what we all want is more of X, Y, Z. Yeah, they're, they're different vectors. You know, they're, they take us in different directions. Let, let, let's just take food, right? Like there's a direction of there, there's that meaning in the sacrifice to just eat a healthy meal and no you can't have cheesecake whenever you want it and a milkshake and for me it would be a snickers you know yeah there's meaning in giving that up yeah. it's it's to be you know sacrificing some desires for your longevity or to feel good have energy whatever it is but yeah there's meaning on the other end too so um we've we've got to give up some of the rigidity and boring discipline and sometimes just have the damn Snickers bar because it's time to celebrate, let loose and be flexible. So I guess that would kind of come into where, where if you're not willing to make, if you're too rigid and not willing to make sacrifices, that would be when it would probably become a problem. Like I'm thinking sugar, for instance. Mm -hmm. yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So, uh, um, you know, a, a very interesting statistic is that 98% of diets fail in uh, on a two year time frame. It's already over 90% at one year, but you know, you, we're leaving about 2% after two years. Yet everybody wants to eat healthy. Okay. And I don't even care which diet we're talking about right now. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to get into the weeds there, but you know, most diets ask a lot of people because it's so much discipline and there's not a whole lot besides our own mind that stop us. You know, there's nothing really in the way of losing our discipline, right? It's, it's right around us when, whenever we're eating, whether that's the pantry, the grocery store or a restaurant, you know, so, um, so it's an ultimate sort of test and act of like, okay, you want that thing, except only 2% of a group of 100, two people are going to come out of that following it. And, and so why? Well, yeah, you know, it's, a, it's a real test of what you just said. Do you, do you really want it? And, and it's, to me, it's, it, it's not just this battle of like good and bad or, you know, yes, I do, no, I don't. It's that we're exercising this conflicted part of the way we operate. You know, one part of us is trying to be well-fed and feel the security of having that satiation. I mean, we have hormones 
and all kinds of neurofeedback loops that tell us when we've satisfied ourselves. And, um, and, and believe it or not, it's evolutionarily how we're designed, right? To eat a lot and a lot, because that's, that's what we had to do before when we were living, you know, up in the savannah and, and you needed to load up. But there's this other part that is new. It's new for us to be sacrificial and to, to practice restraint. That's new. So it's, you know, it, it's, they're, they're different parts of us saying yes and no, you know, gas and brake at the same time, but they're not even really the same foot pedals. They're, they're different parts of us. It's a lot, <laughs> but it's very, it's very, it's interesting that I never thought of it like that restraint is new or the sacrificing part of us is new because, you know, like you, we've talked about more than once now, like we're designed to want more and that thinks that comes the, the, I guess the mental and emotional component of making those sacrifices. And my brain went to, um, the, the why, like, mm -hmm why are you making these like what what are you trying to get out like okay that goes back to the longevity but what's the bigger picture you know what I mean like what's the emotional component this like I can have longevity but why do I want longevity do you get what I'm saying yeah yeah and that's what I think a lot of people are missing you know they're not connecting when they are doing the difficult disciplines things you know yeah so you're going to eat healthy and like you say you can be trying to chase labs, you know, and get your cholesterol low, or you can say, I'm going to, you're chasing longevity, but that's just sort of being healthy for the sake of being healthy, right? That's like asking someone, you want to be nice. Okay. Well, so you want to be nice for the sake of being nice. Great. But like, but why, you know, it's yeah. important. It's, you know, it's called first principles thinking like, why, why am I even concerned about this? Why is this even a question to begin with? You know, why, why? Are we thinking about doing this thing? So, okay, we want to be healthy. Okay, great. Sounds nice. We know that's the right answer, so to speak. But, but why? Why is it important to be healthy? You know, we have to come up with answers for that. And I can certainly think through it, but um, everyone's got to be able to ask themselves that honestly, because it'll help you connect so much more with the energy that we need to do those things. So I hate using the word basically, I need to start thinking of a different word for this, but to summarize on some level is um, we need to get to know ourselves and why we need to do the things that we do in order to on a some level be healthy and to make the sacrifices and self-knowledge. So if we're learning these things about herself one thing that I wrote down was my coach always says this that I think the 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 passion gives you energy and the purpose gives you direction of where you're going however we have to know what that is first so what are some things that we can or questions that we can ask ourselves to get to know ourselves better to maybe dig into that a little bit yeah good question because I you know I agree with what you just said, but yeah, people don't necessarily know what their passion is. And I, and I also find in the same way we were saying before 
that you know one can overanalyze your mood state and be sort of overly monitoring it when it's just like hey you're just feeling a little lousier hey you feel a little better today just 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 live though keep keep going you don't have to dissect and examine exactly what same thing you know we can get lost in trying to examine you know and discover our passion and purpose well um you know sometimes it's nice to just exist enough that that is uh, what we call emergent so i don't know if that's a term you've heard psychologically it came out of really more of sort of a, a the physics world there are emergent properties of things in physics um but it, it's a really nice way of thinking of our behavior and psychology that there are things that are emergent so i'll, I'll give you a more basic example is just being happy we cannot design things to be happy and you could come up with a list of things that will bring you happiness but you can't just do them and then be happy so if you said oh if i talk with you know two two of these friends that i have in mind you know generally that makes me happier if i run you know makes me feel good at the end of that but if you and and so that's just an association but if you do those it, it's not some direct clear guaranteed path to happiness so happiness would be something that is an emergent state and so coming back to what you're saying you know to to have a passion you know we can't just academically and philosophically sit pontificate and discover our passion we have to leave a lot of room to play so that that emerges so that you're doing something in the normal course of your life and what emerges and comes over you from time to time is wow that was fun or, wow i really care about that or wow i'm overcome with emotion my eyes are welling up this feels so meaningful and huge that i just did this thing and it feels like i'm really helping you know and so those those are emergent moments that give us incredible clues as to what our passions might be but those are really hard when you're trying to do it you know through a just scanning around you know from a self help book or or some kind of worksheet um and it's also confusing because you know there's a there's just the hierarchy and category problems of a passion so like you know there's you can be passionate about helping people or passionate about the environment but then you know is it that you get to work with people or is it the trees or is it that you know the that particular forest lives on or that you know you protect a certain area or a species i mean there's there's all kinds of things packed in there so um people get lost trying to figure out their passion cuz they don't know where in that kind of how to categorize it <laughs> you you're not throwing me off but like it takes me a second to like process it for um you said two two things in there so there well there's I really have three questions there but you said two things i think that are key you said room to play use the keyword play there um, I think that's something we could dive into. And then the other thing that you said is that it's an emergent state. So it's almost like that that one, I think state is something that's always kind of transitioning and that we kind of like come back and then we might have like a default state, but then it it sounds like your happiness is a state of being based upon 
what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So I like that you're, you know, teasing those terms out. The the state that we're in is always, yes, always momentary and in transition. Yeah. You know, we can never maintain states. In addiction, that's part of the problem. You know, the idea is I'm gonna use some object, drugs, alcohol, or a Snickers. I'm going to use this object. And the idea usually in the back of people's mind is this is going to bring me to a desirable state. And, and then we want to stay in that state, you yeah. know, which is why we chase the high. Yeah. And that's when we become reliant and dependent and all that. So um, it's when we're chasing and trying to stay in a state. But yes, it's always actually just transient. You know, there's, there's no state that stays, good or bad. So very good. You know, it's important to recognize always that whatever we are experiencing will pass for better or worse. So that that's sometimes a relieving idea if you're feeling miserable, but it also is a sad idea. You know, when you finally have a good relationship and job and it's like, you know what, even if the good relationship and job stay and you still love both, you're still going to have some bad times and strings of days let alone moments so um so it's sad but also a relief on, on that bad end so so yes you know it's always momentary and the and the play yeah you know what i mean there is you can't be so formulaic about scanning life to find what brings you happiness or what's going to make you relaxed or feel that purpose or meaning that we're talking about um, if it's too formulaic, you're not going to actually access whatever that thing is. So say, let's take, you know, running on the beach. So you could be formulaic and say, okay, well, I'm going to try running on the beach today and tomorrow I'm going to do this and tomorrow I'm going to do that. But if you're thinking of it as this formula and you're scanning, you're, you're generally not going to allow yourself to really, really play in that space so when you're jogging on the ocean you know at the on the shore um, there's a difference between jogging on the shore while you're scanning in your mind do i like this do i like this do i like this right how could this work if i did this every day would i be able to do it do i have friends that do it do i you know is there do i know what i where i would park do I know, you know, and you're you're already trying so hard to, to figure out and fit you know is this my purpose do i like this is this my passion but instead, if you're walking and then you're like, hey, I've got some energy, I'm going to just start running. And you're just in that play space like a child, right? I mean, watch a child at the shore. They're just playing. They're not asking themselves, how much do I like this? Right. This is a water cold or, you know, am I running out of energy yet? Or how much will I like doing this tomorrow or forever? They're just doing. And that's what as adults we come to you know we kind of beat out of ourselves but that's the play it's just just be just exist be free you know flow but you know free is not just free time it's free of the frameworks and constraints you know we've got all these things in our minds that get in the way of just actually doing the damn thing but when we do the damn thing that's how we can access that emergent state and say oh, wow, without asking myself or trying, this feeling came over me. Yeah. Um, that 
trying new things with the intention of trying new things for the sake of trying new things and just having fun with it rather than putting some pressure on ourselves to like, well, let me see if I like this and just having fun. And um, I'm going to come back to this question, but have you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess you have, but that makes me think of um, the work by Mihai Chinks and Mihai with Flow State. Have you read any of that? No, no. So yeah, tell me about that. He's a, it's 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 a, he's a Hungarian psychologist and he he studied flow and being in the state of flow which is exactly what that sounds like like being present while you're doing something is like where people find joy and he even talks about in the book like people just like in the flow of like doing the laundry but but doing these things with like a like a not even like an not intentionally like heart but just being present in the moment and like flow is when you have like a certain challenge it, challenge meets the centered present awareness basically that's cool yeah, yeah and, I'm, and perhaps i am familiar then with what he's kind of spawned i because i know certainly there's a good buzzword around like a flow state you know yeah with uh, stephen kotler and uh jamie wheel okay yeah so yeah uh, um absolutely that's exactly mm -hmm. what we're talking about yeah Okay, cool. So then that kind of leads to my next question, but, and, and this is, I mean, I'm sure kids have thoughts, we actually don't know, but like, why do we beat the child out of ourselves? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I do think about this a lot. I, I'm not sure there's, you know, any really one clear answer, but, um, you know, I was even just discussing this with, with one of my friends and we get deeply philosophical whenever we get together and, um, you know, one of the best things we can come up with is really the school system. You know, uh, there, there's, we spend so much time school age, and that's when we're so malleable, and we're being trained as our day job, right? I mean, it's where kids go for, for most of the day. And we're being trained in certain ways. And I'm not talking about, you know, whether that's a history lesson or math or you know that that's academics and that's fine but what about all the social training we get and so i do think you know we're we're really groomed to be so serious you know you gotta sit and be quiet and listen and then perform right you gotta regurgitate the information and don't fidget yeah yeah don't fidget don't play don't stare out the window you know there's just we're just slapped every time you don't do you know you just whap 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 and and it's just grooming us to be i don't know these these kind of serious business people and um and so you know and even academic uh, sorry athletically you know sometimes it's the same thing right it's, it's not like you go to after school athletics and and just play right it's like no you're you're on this team and here's your position and hey you're out of position and Hey, quit picking daisies and walks about, you know. So every authority in a child's life is is sort of constantly telling them to be more diligent and serious and you know and and it's so it's kind of beaten out and and it and it is hard because that is sort of the appropriate job of an older, more experienced authority in a child's life. I mean, you can't keep throwing tantrums forever and you you've got hey the parent knows okay you got to go to bed on time or no you can't eat your you know third airhead 
today. You, you have to have a healthy snack. Here's some carrots, you know, so, um, so there's a lot of it that's, that's quite good. You know, we, we have to, you know, do the, the parenting that ch children need and, and, you know, just, just to use, you know, a, a strong way of saying it, you know, beat the child out of them because yeah. you can't stay a child, right? right? You don't want to live in la la land forever. You wouldn't want your child to grow up, you know, that, that removed, you know, and, and childlike. I mean, you want them to mature and grow, but, um, but yeah, there's certainly some areas where that's not needed. Well, that makes me think of the the balance of the structure and abstract that we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. You need both. And then that was a little bit relatable for me in the sense of like, you know, I went to, I played sports. I went to high school. I went to college, got a job. And then like, it wasn't even until recently that I started exploring this other creative side because that was like never encouraged to like, mm -hmm. oh, go think outside of the box. So I think that's... um. It's really cool what we're saying. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a must. Yeah. 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 I mean, we all are very creative people. And then you can even look at that structure and abstract as like the the balance between like the feminine and masculine energy as well. Like oh absolutely. And and as well as just Eastern tradition around, you know, yin yang, you know, like yeah. chaos yeah. order. This has got everything to do with that too. You know, we've got to when we're talking about beat the child out of someone, you know, hopefully people understand what we mean. Oh, that's process. like the wrong term to use, but yeah. I mean, by why do we negate the child out of us? Why do we let yeah. it go? <laughs> yeah, no, but, it, you know, mature the child. We're, yeah. we're preparing them for life's realities. You know, that's what we mean. And, and so in the, in the yin yang concept, it's, it's to, you know, the child is living in chaos, right? They, they don't know how to manage their feelings, their expectations. They don't know how to learn. And, and so they don't know how to behave. They don't know how to keep friends yet. You know, so it's all chaotic. And, you know, a lot of what a child learns is the order side yeah. of them. Here's the order of things. There's people in charge. There's rules to follow. There's a world you've got to get along with. And so, um, yeah. And, and so a good way to think about it for, for ourselves or, you know, raising a kid or what we want for the world with that yin yang, it's to understand not just that you want both, but sort of keeping the the proper goal in mind, right? It's not to just keep going to more orderly, nor is it you know just more balanced. I think that'd be a rudimentary view. Instead, yeah. thinking of what what would I want that child to learn, right? So I want the child to learn enough order that they can get along with the world and and have their needs satisfied and and maybe even help the world right so you've got to have enough order that you can plug in to the world where there's a good fitness of how we relate to the world okay but there also has to be some chaos where there's fun and play and experimentation um so there's appropriate places for that especially in one's own home right or with their own small group or certain places that we have where we can play and experiment but um, so it's to be flexible right there has to be a fluidity and a flexibility but we do need to know when it's time to use polite language and sit you know and be quiet and so it's it's not like that's all bad you know right. where, where we all you know to be serious is to like not 
enjoy life or something. No, to enjoy life, you better learn, you know, the right times to do that and be able to shape it up really quickly when it's needed. And then we turn another corner and, and we can be silly and goofy and really fun. So having that flexibility is way more resilient. I mean, I, I see patients try both ends, right? And it's not resilient to be on either end. Right. Yeah. Well, do you think that it might be, I, I could imagine that it might be difficult for somebody who maybe lived their life all in one aspect and let's just go with the yin and yang, right? Like I, I'm not saying me, but like, um, my, I live my life in this entire creative aspect. Cause like, that's what my parents let me do. I didn't need to do X, Y, Z, or I live my life completely in this structured world. I can imagine once you, there's two things that could happen. One, you might either want to go completely onto the opposite way, like going from one extreme to another, and also learning the, um, I guess, learning how to integrate the two of them together. Yeah, yeah, very good word to use that integration. Yeah. It's it's got to be integrated. And that's a, a very good psychological term, you know, yeah. to, to integrate those other, you know, different parts of the psyche. So um yeah, to be on one side obviously will lead to a lot of deficits on either end there, right? If you're if you're too fun and experimental, you know, you're you're not gonna get where you want in life because You've, you've got to pay bills on time. You yeah. got to sometimes be serious and know how to behave and, and get, you know, a good credit score or not, you know, things that will get you what you want. Right. Uh, on the other end, yeah. Too serious. You're, you're, if you're kind of cold and too serious, people don't really want to be around that. It's not fun. It's right. never at, at ease and comfortable. So, um, yeah, but, uh, certainly to, to integrate them and, um, and so that that is hard work for people. It's often if you've grown up sort of sort of more in one camp, it yeah. can feel very foreign. Yeah. And, and not just foreign, but like the the function of something being foreign that's hard is that it's confusing. So right. if you're kind of serious all the time, and you and that's been your microculture, i.e., like family, and it's serious. It, it's like, you, yeah, you kind of know there's more to life. None of the people on either side are stupid. They know there's a lot to be gained on the other side. If you're too serious, those people know they're too serious and they'd love to loosen up, but it's confusing to them. Like why, I get it, but why am I going to let loose and do that? That doesn't sound fun. That, that I don't get what, what I'm going to get from that, right? Do you think it's an unknown? So then that doesn't feel safe to explore it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's unknown. It's confusing. Yeah. And so it's easier and safer yeah. to just point at it from the other side of the room and say, yeah, I don't get that. Or that I don't, I don't see what's in it for me, or I don't, I don't think that's going to be worth it. Um, it's easier to do that than to actually give it a try, but a real try. Right? Right. Because you can't just say, hey, let loose, come out with us. And then they go out and they're calling it letting loose, but they're not really letting loose, right? Um, so you, you, know, you have to really make a concerted effort and that's asking a lot. 
Um, it makes me think, I forget what it's called, but just like the, there, there's a, there's a whole chart with it, but the growth, the growth, the comfort zone, the growth zone, the learning zone, and then the, the growth zone. So like that coming back to what we said a lot earlier too, with the us wanting more. So maybe we want more of this creativity, but also the structure, we have to have the courage and the vulnerability to have that growth so that we can have more of whatever we think that we want. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and I think what makes it less scary for people and, you know, some, some of the ways I put it are for people to understand we're, we're never really asking for people to like abandon the, the post that they've been right. you know, inhabiting right. and, and leave, you know, either the structure for, for some experimentation or, or that play, you know, leave that for like what seems to them really boring. It's to expand it. So in, in Eastern tradition, they call it widening the bowl. And so you're, you're widening your existence so that you've got more room to be fluid, but, but you're not leaving who you are. So right. um, that's sometimes helpful and reassuring for people to know yeah. that, you know, I'm, I'm not having to like totally reinvent or take huge chances. I, I can come back to how I normally operate at any moment. And not only can I, but it's actually really good that I still stay good at how I've come to know, uh, because there's obvious advantages to how you know wherever they are. But um, but to yeah, dabble with those. And the other thing is that you're also you know asking too much if you say to the person, you know, go go try this total other end, you know, right. and, and trust me, you're going to like it. You'll see that it's right. worth it. And that's, that's where, you know, ill, <laughs> ill-equipped sorts of therapists will try because, you know, they, they know and they're right that that person could try these other new things and that good things will come, but definitely not over a weekend is it going to come. Right. So right. it's to, not just to set the appropriate expectations, but to really dabble but even easier is that really all of us are sometimes doing something on the total other end. I mean, even that really serious person, trust me, they're doing something that's a bit devious or rebellious or let, to, to let loose. Uh, and, and on the other end, too, you know, even your most reckless person is doing something that's pretty orderly. Um, so, uh, so when you can find those little things, those pockets there you can help people to realize that it's not so scary and foreign. Um, I'm just having the realization that you and I could probably have a conversation for four hours. <laughs> Only four? <laughs> You're right. Um, so what do you think that the, what do you think that the, I don't want to call it economic, but maybe I don't know what the word is. Um, societal cultural impact that people widening their bowl may have so the impact at large like collectively yeah yeah i i mean i think that the nice thing that would come if everybody did that more and and was aware of it is that there would be less you know funny looks shaming judgments confusion yeah. right because wherever we are on that we do act as if it's just like sometimes wrong for someone else to be that other way 
And, and so that's where we get a lot of intolerance and judgment and stuff. So like for me, people wondering, you know, how do I sit and treat, you know, addicts and that, you know, doesn't it get tiring and they're like, none of them are doing what they're supposed to do. And it's like, I, I actually feel zero like problems or judgment or like they, because I can recognize they're, they're just doing their thing. Yeah. And, and if anything, it feels wonderful because they're, they're showing up because they're trying to expand and, yeah. and explore and they know there's something more they need to be doing. And so um, that's what I would hope collectively happens where you just can understand not, not just, I mean, I think what most people get already is we all have different walks of life and perspectives. And so, you know, respect that someone else is leading their own different life and respect their culture, or respect, you know, their own needs and how difficult the day they're having. But it's also this, right? There's a deeper level of being able to respect that, you know, if someone shows up late or they're always a little loose, you know, just respect that, like, boy, do we need people like that. You know, those are the people who historically might have tried some new food and, you know, tried some new plant or went to a new territory and I didn't want to go there. You know? They let I, us know that different things were safe because they had the courage to like experience more. Yes. Yes. And I, then those people need structure because they got to come back to something that's got order. Yeah. Or else it's just a mess. And so they have to appreciate, you know, people who are making rules and why do y'all need to have rules and so serious and have some respect for it and, and appreciate it, but for real, not just like, oh, I can understand that there's another perspective. No, for real, appreciate that, boy, do you need people to, to keep that home maintained and follow some rules so that you can come back to that because it's going to be a lot easier for you to have that nice maintained home to sleep so that you can go and explore again tomorrow. So, you know, boy, do we need all kinds of people. And so, you know, I don't, I don't meet other people and think, you know, we need less of you or, you know, we, right. we need them, you know, generally when people suffer too, it's because, you know, they're being judged like crazy, scapegoated and, you know, they're the black sheep, right? And, and you can actually bring a hell of a lot out of even those devious people when they're celebrated and embraced, but, but just appropriately and properly fostered so that they can still have enough discipline or order to, to get along with the world, but not too much. You know, you got to let them exist and support them. So this got to happen in every direction. If we can do that collectively, oh my God, wow, that, that'd be amazing. So it's, it's embracing everybody's individuality because we all have a for lack of better words, like a role or structure that we need to fill to create this order, this whole human chain that we live in. Absolutely. Yeah. And even, I'll bring this to another level, even within ourselves, right? Because that's where we're really stuck. We, we are judging ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So we, right? We, wow. we are that conflict and that judge. I mean, the, the, the greatest judge that we really can't stand is ourselves. So you have the Snickers, you have too many drinks, you do drugs, whatever it is, 
and and then people judge themselves they're so confused why do i do this thing why i know better and then we judge ourselves well how could you do that don't you know better you've already gotten in trouble so many times do you know that it's going to be bad for you and and so a lot of what we're talking about then you know ultimately is in our own judgment of ourselves so then we need to learn to love and accept ourselves yes and when you can really really do that you can do it for anybody because you're not then comparing yourself to somebody else. You're probably judging somebody else because you're comparing your version of yourself and what you think you should be like to somebody else and you're outside. So you're basically projecting onto somebody else how you think they should be. Right. Wow. <laughs> yeah. When you have that inner peace and you really get why you just have to allow yourself to be, you can still correct yourself. You can still try and learn from mistakes and grow but if you can really have that much sort of respect for yourself it's pretty easy to do outwardly well and that's where that synergistic thing of yin and yang and balance and structure come in because you can also look at people in your life or whatever as a reflection of you and say oh that person's like that am i like that how am i doing so it's like a reciprocal kind of um for yourself i mean it's really for it comes down to it's for yourself it's like you have it's just it's a mirror you have you have to look at yourself you can't you can't you can't judge somebody if you're not willing to like look at yourself and accept yourself mm -hmm. yeah oh uh, it's just amazing how much we we place on the people and things around us when it really is us so social media yeah yeah i mean it's it's always you know we we are projecting our own problems and issues and deficits you know outwardly all, all the time not that we're necessarily i don't just mean you know we can make things difficult for other people but that we're attributing certain problems you know to other people or relationships when they they are generated from our own dynamics the way we relate to the world. How do you think that we can stop having that harmful self-talk or like the, you know, like that harmful comparison or the harmful self-talk and start learning to be able to trust ourselves and be confident in ourselves and who we are that's a big question uh, the the simplest way that i can really narrow that down um because it's something that comes up a hell of a lot and and it's hard to figure out like what's a step what how do i actually do that right i mean one is yeah what you're doing here and having a conversation that's public and so hopefully that does something right and enough people do that and makes wheels turn and then they try something out and talk to someone about it but um as far as any step that's that, you know the most tangible i can come up with it would be to maintain a tone of curiosity so when you do judge yourself or you're finding yourself disrespecting other people and you know not able to accept things or give anybody grace um just try out a tone of curiosity because 
the thing I like about a curious tone is it, it still lets you notice that something's wrong. You're not like in no case and in, in any of this, do I suggest that someone pretend things are all okay. I mean, let's just take my Snickers bars. I mean, if I keep eating too many Snickers, I don't have to tell myself that's just okay because that's evolution at play. Like, no, no, no. So I don't have to kid myself and say it's okay. But rather than shaming myself and saying, bad me, you know better, you're stupid, what are you doing? Um, it's a curious tone. So that would sound something like, okay, I'm starting to eat a lot more Snickers. What's going on? So not shame on me, but okay, you got my attention. You know, what's going on? And, and you may already have some clues. So yeah. how, did, how, did, how did this happen again? Um, a lot of the questions that we ask when we're trying to be mean, we can actually ask with a different tone. You know, so like, how did this happen again? You know, that's, that's certainly just a way of saying you, you dumb idiot, right? But when you really ask, you know, it's, a, it's actually a good question, you know, how did this happen again? That's a curious tone. Like you're actually wondering. Yeah. You're not saying it just to make that yourself or someone else feel stupid. Um, can we, can we shift gears a tiny bit with, um, <laughs> I mean, I'm like, not that I wouldn't want to keep talking about this, but <laughs> there's still so much to cover. Um, I I'm curious from a clinical point of view, when do, well, let me ask you this question. Do you, do you ever prescribe, um, medication for your clients? I do. Yeah, I'd, I'd say roughly half of my patients I prescribe to. Yeah. Okay. So I'm curious, two things with that. One, how do you know somebody needs to be on a medication or it's just a matter of like them asking themselves questions? And then my other question is, have you ever um, recommended that any of your patients use cannabis? All right, those are two different questions. <laughs> well, and I and I, I yeah. put those kind of together because, yeah, yeah. um, you know, I I've been I I have some friends who are into plant medicine. Yeah, and I really like using that term of using it as like a medicine, and like I use cannabis, but I use it very intentionally of like, okay, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna sit here, I'm gonna yeah. feel how I'm feeling. You know, I'm not a person who will get like, let me get high and eat a bunch of food, but it's like, let me use yeah. this as an intentional tool to be able to dive into my subconscious a little bit more. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll start with the, the first one. Okay. Um, yeah. How do I know when someone needs a medication? I wouldn't say I think of it like this person needs a medication and that person mm -hmm. doesn't. Uh, for me, it's always a, a really shared dialogue, you know, yeah. to, to see what they're interested in and what they're personal path is is going to be mm -hmm. so um, some people kind of want that quote-unquote you know pure path and then other people are just like yeah if there's something if there's an antidepressant of course I want an antidepressant why yeah. wouldn't I yeah and uh, and then each you know is my job on each side right to to help them understand and appreciate you know why they would or wouldn't not just the pros and cons of a medication not just like the side effects right but the what's behind why you would right. or wouldn't want to be on right. medication right um 
So that to me is what I'm evaluating, you know, with people, even with mild depression, it might make great sense to be on a medication if there's someone who's afraid, right? They're overly like, they have health anxiety. They're always worried about what they're putting in their body and things like that. It, you know, the medication actually might be, you know, growth for them, right? To, to, to trust, to take that leap of faith we're talking about, right? And, and then, you know, there's probably going to be benefit if they take the medication. Uh, for other people, yeah, they're like always turning to answers and, you know, things to solve problems for them, you know, outside of their own work. And they come, you know, okay, well, what are the steps? Can I take a medication? It's like, whoa, whoa, this, it's not for the whole world to just make you better. You know, right. there's, there's work to be done inside of you. And so, um, and there's a bunch of other, you know, combinations yeah. of all that. But um, so that's how I think about it. And I also, I don't think of medications as like people have a, take a antidepressant, for example, what they do is they block serotonin reuptake. So more serotonin gets across from one nerve cell to the other. It's not that people, that the, the serotonin hypothesis has never been borne out. I mean, it, it's, it's not true that people who have depression have like chronically lower uh, levels of serotonin. Um, so, so it's not like when I treat someone with an antidepressant, it's because I think they have this like actual structural biological problem of making serotonin and I have to replace it. Um, instead, I just think of it as enhancing and I, I think of it more of as a, like a vitamin than I would a medication in that it's something that can help to sort of nourish and it does promote, it, it is better brain health when you have a lot of inflammation and the hypothalamus is not functioning properly. So there's, um, there's good reasons to be on one, but temporarily. So I think of it like a cast. Yeah. Your own bone is still what's got to heal and grow. But it might make sense to put a cast on so it's not so incredibly difficult for it to heal straight and heal right. properly without getting banged up. So my intention always with medications is eventually to remove them as well. Um, I'm, I'm curious as to if you recommend kind of like holistic lifestyle design principle like how much how much if at all like do you recommend like okay well maybe like changing your diet's going to help your mental emotional state or like the way that you're exercising or maybe it's like meditation or breathing kind of techniques yeah i would call myself like opportunistic so yeah. um yes in almost every patient you know, we're going to cover nutrition, exercise, and then plenty of other holistic things. Um, but, you know, as far as what I do first or what the windows are that we have to go after first, that's where I'm more opportunistic. So if they're interested in an antidepressant, then the odds are that's going to help them, yeah. if nothing more than even the placebo effect. Yeah. So yeah. You know, if that's going to help give that person better footing and start to get better sleep, it's going to be a hell of a lot easier to start exercising. Yeah. Right. So um, sometimes it's the other way to start there. You know that that they have a, you know, they're afraid to look at some trauma. It's a lot easier to start an exercise program, right? So right. if they kind of used to do, you know, some kind of sport in high school, they're familiar. They kind of already know how to work out, but it's been ten years. You know, that's a good place to start. They've got that, and they get an easy win under their belt. Um, cause they're kind of ready for that and that's easier to do. So it's to me about sort of always just bump, 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 bump. So you have to be opportunistic and see what excites them and what their motivations are. 
Cool. Um, everybody's different, right? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, let's come back to the uh, the cannabis question. Cannabis. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll I'll say a couple things just from the top. Oh, one is that um, unfortunately for a lot of cannabis lovers, you know, there's just not good data to support yeah. that it helps yeah. Yeah. Uh, mental health. So yeah. it's not great for sleep or anxiety, which are, you know, the, the common reasons that people use it. Uh, temporarily can it, of course, yeah. but, you know, it's, um, and it's not as bad as alcohol, but it's, it's the same in that alcohol can help you get to sleep or makes you relax. But um, over a long term, it's just, it's, it's never going to make someone sleep well or, you know, be right. less anxious. So same cannabis, just, it's just no large studies that are yeah. done well, you know, with controlled studies, you can find small studies that show anything you want for anything. So I'm talking about like peer reviewed journal, yeah. um, done, you know, done properly with like IRB standards and stuff, peer reviewed journal. So th those studies just don't show that benefit. And I know some of the people that run them and, mm -hmm. and I can tell you they're, they're not like opposed to, to marijuana or anything, you know, they, they're genuinely interested in seeing if there's benefit. You yeah. know, if anything, they're hoping to see something. So, um, so yeah, I don't say that because it's just like illegal still in so many places, and and I'm just supposed to say it's not good. No, really, the studies aren't quite there to show that it's good chronically. Right. On the other end, yeah, I mean, what you're doing makes sense. Right? Right. I mean, that's part of what we talked about—the play and and experimentation—and to do that, you know, with enough deliberate intent that you know okay i'm not just doing this every day i'm not going to do it every time i feel bad i'm going to do it because i'm looking for an experience now i'm right. trying to play and i know something i'm, I'm, I'm going to set the stage for something interesting to come and uh and, that, and that's very good for that yeah. and so you know using it sparingly in that way yeah i mean i i don't i don't have a problem with that and for some people it's even a good idea right well that even what you said of like setting the stage and ironically in an experience is kind of like the same thing of like i might go to a concert to get a different altered state to experience some kind of joy or i might go on a vacation or you know go go to my favorite restaurant so it's like creating the you know what i'm saying like it's an, ex an intentional experience to have an experience Yes, yes. And, and, you know, we can kind of, you know, go full circle here and say, there's some chaos and order that you're yeah. inhabiting at the same time there, right? You're, yeah. you're using some of your orderliness to say like, hey, I'm going to clear my schedule that day for half a day. I'm going to get together with that person. I've got to buy this because so I've got to plan that, right? right. Clear the schedule. And, you know, so there's, some orderliness to that but then there's also you know the the chaos and play of it where that then lets you do that right so you're you're exercising both that's that's a very good thing yeah it's kind of funny everything that we just started we just talked about we started with addiction and i feel like we've almost led to a whole completely different but similar topic uh yeah and and i'd say um per, perhaps it's a reflection of just how I think about all this, you know, is that what people present with, not just, you know, here in, in my office, but just 
in their own minds in their own home and privacy whatever you're starting with you know whatever that symptom you notice like i'm depressed or i'm addicted yeah it's, it's never just that like there's there's so many other big questions that are packed inside of that struggle or that symptom yeah so like when i say you know i, I get to underlying issues and the underlying drivers that's what we mean i mean look look at how this conversation has has sort of brought us to these other interesting questions which have really to me everything to do with addiction but but to just the superficial level of it are we talking about addiction someone would say no but to me of course we are we're talking about how to manage ourselves and our states and when we feel empty or you know when we judge ourselves like that's that's all the same to me and it all comes down i don't want to say it all comes down to because that's way too basic but it's the the self-knowledge and awareness is really what we're talking about and in order to get to the root causes of our addiction we have to learn who we are and why we do what we do and what we're looking for and why we're looking for it yeah yeah and the thing i would just add to that because for sure um, and and then when we become self-aware uh, people get very frustrated because they say, okay, well, let's just take a basic case of like, okay, uh, I, I shouldn't say basic, but a stereotypical case of someone with addiction who has a history of trauma. And, and so, you know, you, you can understand it on that level, but, but you, and then they can say, okay, I have the insight now. I understand it's because of my trauma that I, you know, feel so uncomfortable or anxious, depressed. And, and that's why I'm addicted now. But that can leave people very frustrated. It's like, okay, I get that connection, but why can't I stop still? So one of the important things to always help people with is, you know, beyond the insight or the recognition is working through that confusion. Like, why can't I turn this insight into action? Because in, insight alone is not usually enough to, to really move. Um, this is where coming back to that vulnerability, wanting to experience something more and having the courage to come and ask for help to kind of do these. And I think that's also where, um, the important role of coaches or therapists is to be sure of yourself and, and accept yourself so that you can also create that space for somebody else to grow and be vulnerable so that they can create those insights that you can help them achieve very good yeah yeah i mean you got to leave the space for that patient not bring your own stuff into the room and also to loop back in something we said where, where i said earlier you know often we're projecting our own stuff onto superficially what's happening in front of us so uh, what i'm referring to in this case is someone not presenting to therapy and they make it into the issue of like vulnerability and I don't want someone else you know to to be let into my mind and all that but it's really that that patient is afraid to explore their own mind that they know that if they show up there there's going to be too much attention and prompts that it's hard for them not to explore their own mind and their own shortcomings and their own struggle right and, and actually sit with that so that's also just an example of what I had meant earlier but that's often what's in the way you know it's not really like getting to the office and sharing our story and the insurance and you know it's often 
really something deeper. You know, yeah. we, we, not too many people have that courage to explore themselves. And push past the boundaries that we might create for ourselves or the stories that we create to protect ourselves. Like you're saying, the insurance, however far it is, whatever it is, it's a story that we're telling ourselves to avoid ourselves. Yes. And that those stories, you know, are reflections of something happening deeper inside of us. Okay. Well, I think um I think we should tap out right here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, where can where can people learn more about you? Um so you know, either my personal practice, but what what's more sort of public and has more information is selfrecovery.org. Okay. So uh, and self-recovery is the way that you know, I am able to reach more people everywhere. You know, my own practice, I'm just seeing one patient at a time. Right. And only people who live here. Yeah. Well, we will um, We will be having Daniel back on and we're going to talk more about that self-recovery because we did not even touch it. But no, we did, fine. we did, but didn't. Yeah, no, this, this is great. I really enjoyed the conversation and um, this is where I hope more people can... Um, explore things in this way right to, yeah. to start with a seemingly sort of simple symptom right of addiction or something and then realize there's there's a lot of interesting things to explore there's a whole world to crack open yes cool. indeed well, thank you so much daniel yeah you're very welcome glad to be on Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. If you like this episode, please like and subscribe. And if you would like notifications when the uh, podcast is dropped, you can sign up for our newsletter. The link is in the show notes and you'll get the podcast delivered right to your inbox with the little details about show notes and other little events that are going on in the community. So have a great day and we'll see you next week.